welcome to the 15-minute juice, where we discuss physical therapy, rehabilitation, return to sport after injury, training, and all things fitness, while also answering burning daily questions, broach the juiciest weekly topics, and educate the masses on the proper algorithm for optimizing their lifestyle. It's fast, it's concise, it's informative, it's juicy. Buy Optimizers Masszymes, 100% plant-based, naturally derived, best digestive enzyme blend out there right now. Highly concentrated with enzymes that digest proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Helps to relieve indigestion, gas, bloating, and fatigue after meals. Take it with the meals to enhance the digestion and nutrient absorption. Also helps to improve recovery after hard exercise and hard efforts. So go to buyoptimizers.com and use code JUICY for 10% off. Chaz. Oh, I'm sorry. Welcome back to another episode of the 15-Minute Juice. Um, late night tonight, Mike. I feel like it's midnight and we're doing these now. Um, but it's okay. We're here to educate the masses, as we say, right? Yeah. Um, I have an interesting question I wanted to bring up. Again, um, just viewing some of these questions that come through. A mom had a question about her daughter tore her ACL, her LCL, and her MCL. All right. So let's clarify that for everyone. ACL, anterior cruciate. MCL, medial collateral, LCL, lateral collateral, correct? So she had a pretty nice, would that be considered a triad tear? They usually label the triad as the ACL, MCL, and the medial meniscus, but I mean, that's a nice triad. There's three things torn, so. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the mom asked the question, is the, is the rehab, different is there certain things i mean i know that uh based off of of past athletes that have come through the program typically if there's an mcl and an acl they typically let the mcl heal first before doing the acl but in this case where it's the lateral and the medial and the acl is the rehab different is the process longer what does that look like it's probably going to be a longer protection phase in the beginning. Just judging from seeing what a lot of the surgeons have done, they are uh, locked in that brace a little bit longer. Um, you know, slow with the range of motion. It's real gradual. You know, just trying to, uh, you know, again, moderate swelling, scar tissue. Um, you know, and just trying to, <clears throat> you know, prevent a lot of like any rotation, things like that and letting letting that stuff heal and it's probably going to be because all those structures have been involved, you know, a lot of swelling and pain and all that stuff. So it's just kind of a gradual, gradual progression into things. So the surgeon will probably write on the script, how they want to progress because they'll know exactly how extensive they had to go in to repair. So they'll write that, Hey, you know, limit things by this, you know, it'll be slow with this. And they might have, you know, every like two week check-ins to see how it's going. Did they, um, would they do 
I don't know the name of the actual surgery, but we've had a couple of the surgeons doing that, that lateral extension. What is that? The LET. Would, would that come into play here because it's a, uh, a lateral collateral ligament as well? Would they, would they use, I mean, I'm asking you questions that probably, you know, with the surgeon, but I'm just seeing maybe how much, you know, knowledge you have here. Uh, are they taking anything from the, the IT band maybe with that? Yeah, I've been seeing that a lot more. They've been using the uh, IT band to try to add a little bit of extra stability on the outside to prevent for that like lateral, uh, provide a little bit more of that lateral stability. So that's something they've kind of been doing. Um, you know, they've also been just doing a bunch of different approaches, which would be kind of cool to check in come, you know, uh, the first quarter of 2023 with some of the surgeons we have lined up to see what techniques and stuff they're looking to try to do, um, you know, going in, going into the new year, you know, anything different, you know, such as, uh, you know, they're starting to do an anterior approach for a hamstring graft because it saves having a drill, basically another hole, you know, um, so they go in anterior and they go in that way. And they and they splice out a little piece of the hamstring. So that's different. Interesting. To, so so yeah. they're not making the incision in the back. Yeah. So you need to know that that they took a piece of the hamstring rehab. You gotta be a little bit slower, you know, with stuff. But knowing that they took it, but the, when you look in the back, there's no scar. So you know that's why it's really important to have a you know a conversation with the surgeon and see like what they're doing there. Um, and that's you know where that multidisciplinary approach and communication comes in, especially in those beginning phases and you know it's healing um the weeks there just to know exactly what they had what had to be done they have difficulty with anything um you know when they went i would be there. curious too to see what graph they use because that wasn't stated in there she was just saying that she had torn all those i would be curious to see what graph they go after there but right i mean would they go after the hamstring there making that incision because they're going in, like you said, anterior or almost laterally for the LCL. How many incision marks are they making with that, right? With the LCL, the MCL, and the ACL. Is it different there? Yeah, I mean, from the last from the last podcast, we saw talking about ACL graph types and from like the latest discussions, it really depends on the activity level. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming this is a high school, you know, field sport player you know, that, or, you know, field sport athlete, I mean, that would probably have to get back to the running and cutting. So they'd probably look at that uh, patella, you know, uh, the bone to bone type graft, you know, if it's somebody that's not going back to excessive cutting and pivoting, they then they'd probably use the hamstring. Okay. Um, and so with the, you were saying the, the recovery phase in the beginning is a little bit slower as far as the brace. They may have that on for maybe what, four to six weeks. Yeah. They might have them locked in extension, walking around a little bit longer and then gradually progress some of the flexion just to be protective, to allow, this is allow the ligament and everything to heal because you know, when you start bending the knee, you know, things get moving and you will start to, you know, stretch things. And then, you know, when there's obviously more flexion, there's a little bit more rotational forces. So a little more conservative with that, you know, and then obviously controlling the, the swelling um, as well as, you know, making sure that things are moving, right? Like the patella and, and the skin and the tissue. We look at a lot of these like post-surgical issues. 
sometimes we overlook like the skin and the integumentary system that goes with that. You'll see a lot of that with hand therapy. When stuff is kind of matted down for like layman terms, you know, with the, they have the stereo strips on and the scar tissue and everything's building up in there and that's not moving. That stuff has to get mobilized through manual techniques. Right. You now when the stereo strips come off, you can use taping. All that stuff has to kind of glide nicely. Otherwise, if that's kind of like stuck per se and you're trying to move the knee, it pulls and that could cause discomfort and issues and more aggravation. So that's why the hands-on stuff is really important. Doing things to control the swelling, like using like, you know, the Thermex, you know, um, you know, that's like a, a compression unit that does like, you know, compression and cold is kind of like a, you know, um, an advanced version of the game ready, just things like that. And a lot of this is just mitigating stuff to just allow the body to heal and just like slowly, you know, um, making sure that all that stuff is, you know, in the right place. Um, and then, is the MCL and the LCL, are they healing quicker than the ACL? Um, good question. I, I don't know. I don't know if they would heal quicker in terms of because of just, you know, the way, like the, the action and like the way they are, like the anatomy of what they have to do, you know, if there's not as much stress and it's just different in terms of like just the uh, origin insertion of them, like the attachments versus what an ACL has to go through. Um, that'd be interesting. I mean, that'd be something interesting to talk to maybe more about with some of the surgeons, you know, what they see with that. Um, or I mean, even anything recent and when they're doing with some of the, you know, cadaver studies on testing some of these ligaments and stuff, you know, to see what, what, what it's looking like. Right. Now you said, obviously the, um, the leg and the brace for a longer extended period of time. But does the rehab process or does your thought process behind taking that athlete through the rehab, does it change because of these three ligaments as opposed to an ACL, just a clean ACL or an ACL and a meniscus? So does this yeah. change the way that you're rehabbing the athlete? Yeah, definitely a little bit of a, a slower progression, being mindful of uh, there's probably going to be more things that, that hurt or ache when they're moving. I mean, they had all these things around the knee repaired. Um, and, you know, it, also looking at a mechanism injury, did that happen non-contact or was this contact? Was this like a blow to yeah, the knee? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. do you, I mean, I would, I mean, again, this just based off of my knowledge and, and, and what I've had, I've never seen that type of injury. So I'm assuming that that is probably going to be more from a blow of some sort, right? I mean, chances of you tearing all three of those in a non-contact form, you'd have to really be moving at some kind yeah, of or the Or, you know, their leg got caught up in another player and like a big collision or something crazy. Just something to put some extra force, you know, for that to happen. but. We're seeing some really, you know, weird stuff. I mean, we have a basketball player in now who um, didn't tear the ACL, but the tibial insertion, it was almost like an avulsion fracture. So it's almost like where the ACL is like inserted, pulled off. So the bone wow. in the ACL went, so they had to go and anchor down that piece. And then the meniscus, um, Basically, you know, it didn't tear, but it like peeled off almost like, almost like if you, uh, 
like you peel something sticky off a counter, it just peels back. No tearing, right. it just came off. So they had to like mattress suture it down a little bit on there, you know, which is which is wild. So that's kind of interesting. So no actual tear to the disc. It just kind of like you know just came back. And this off is the a, bone. this is a younger athlete too, right? Was this like a, a? I don't remember off the top of my head, but was yeah, this no, the eleven-year-old? No, this is the high school basketball player. But okay. then, yeah, now okay. we have the eleven-year-old who, um you know, playing football, went to cut and pivot and tore the ACL, you know, uh, and the meniscus. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's a little bit more common with the ACL and the meniscus happening yeah. than, again, the what we're calling the triad here, which is the ACL, the LCL, and the yeah. MCL. Um, but you're, so you're saying that you would, you would progress them a little bit slower than a typical, you know, clean ACL or even with yeah, the meniscus. I, and I would, yeah, I'd really go by, you know, what the surgeon is saying, you know, they usually right. write stuff on that script, things to be cautious with. And if you're not sure, you'd, you know, obviously call over and talk to the, you know, the PA, uh, the physician assistant, you know, and just ask and say, Hey, you know, I see a lot going on here. Are there things you're concerned about? Anything you want to look out for? And I've done that with a lot of our, you know, surgeons we work with just, just to make sure and just see. Because uh, honestly, sometimes, you know, they're really busy and, and they do forget a little bit, you know, um, get the right stuff on there. So it's just good to know that. And, but I would kind of do that really with any surgery just to check in and be like, you know, what's going on here? We even do that with rotator cuff repairs, things like that. Like, hey, how much tension was this thing repaired under? Did you have a hard time going there? What the tissue look like when you went in there? Were there some other things you saw, you know? So just being able to get the surgical report and looking at that sometimes helps too. But um, usually the more stuff involved, it's just slower rehab because there's more things repaired. So you just start right. off kind of slower, you know, doing the basics. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, that's why there's a lot of cool things we could, you know, um, you know, uh, get involved early. BFR, neuromuscular stimulation, Thermex, control and swelling. A lot of things that we weren't doing, you know, 10 years ago. Uh and then even then, once they do start weight bearing, real simple things like on the quick board, there's a very basic weight shift program, real slow reaction, just getting used to shifting weight while your eyes are focused and responding to a different stimulus. Um, and the real cool thing is you can make your own drills on that, which is going to be some things that Alex and I will be playing around with because you can make even some sequences where they have different patterns and uh, there's a certain amount of touches and then it'll track the time it takes to complete the touches. So are they getting faster to hit those touches? So then you can see right. progress, which is kind of cool. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, early basic things you could do that start stimulating stuff that, you know, um, is safe, you know, especially if you're really kind of guarding range of motion and mobility to not stress things out, you know, so um, that will get a neuromuscular response without compromising the repair, you know. So what about return to play, right. Return to play. I mean, are you saying with this athlete, like, there's no way you're going back for 12 months? I mean, this is a 12 month recovery. You know, maybe, maybe your, your, your mind changes a little bit with a different athlete. Again, everyone is a case by case, but we typically are saying, you know, about that 12 month mark is an injury like this. Does that make you like 13 or 14 or 15 plus months because of the significance of the injury? Or are you still, you know, I would, I, yeah, I wouldn't think so. Cause I think all that stuff heals, you know, it gets past its healing time and stuff is healed. It still comes down to 
what that athlete is demonstrating and showing you. You're still right. going through Quality that point. Cause, yeah, eventually you get past that point where everything is healed. Now it comes down to quality of movement. You know, what right. are they looking like, you know? And maybe it becomes more of a significant injury or, you know, they had more swelling and stuff. Maybe a lot of that stuff might be delayed in the beginning and there might be more fear avoidance, especially if that was a really like nasty type of hit or something. They might, you know, have a lot more of that, you know, um, you'll see what their TSK looks like, but also, uh, you know, just what they look like when they decelerate and then upon contact. So doing some of the contact type drills, you know, how much do they, you know, shy away from that? So that, that could be maybe a little bit different. So there's a lot of things that play into that, maybe a little more of a traumatic style injury like that, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's just... Uh, again, I haven't really heard that one much. Uh, I think the the one I've I've seen before was a an ACL, a meniscus, and an MCL. Um, and I do remember them saying that they waited for the MCL to heal because the blood supply there is is more uh, rich. So that that they waited for that to heal. Then they kind of went in and, and did the meniscus and the ACL at the same time, um, but I I can't remember. This was this was probably a few years ago now. I, I think that it was probably closer to like fourteen months before the athlete got back. Yeah. You know? um, so again, like you said, the more that there is to fix, sometimes even that healing process, but it's the quality of movement going forward past that. You know, past that point, uh, fear avoidance. You know, uh, what are they scoring on that TSK 11? That's another big thing that I want to bring up in another uh, podcast with you and maybe even bringing somebody on that to discuss that is that that fear of re-injury, that kinesophobia, you know, that big word there. Um, but yeah, I mean, just w- where do they stand with all that, with that recovery, you know? So, um, but I would say with, you know, to answer the, the parent's question, this is this is going to be you know a, a long journey, um, but you know it's it's not that these can't these things can't be repaired. Just like you know other surgeries and, and seeing these kids get back out onto the field, um, I just think that this is going to require maybe just a little bit more patience than a typical ACL surgery. Yeah, I remember reading the research report like years ago from Kevin Wilk when. Uh, Dunter Robinson, you know, defensive back, he's played for Houston and then he went to Atlanta, but uh, he had his knee blown out and it was a great case study because there was a lot of pain and a lot of swelling because there was cartilage and arterial damage. It was just a bad, just one of those nasty injuries, you know, Um, sometimes that happens. I mean, we haven't seen too many of that. I mean, the last real bad one was obviously Alex Smith and his leg. He almost, almost had to get his foot amputated. Everybody knows about that. Yeah. But I remember some nasty hits. I remember, like, the Eagles had a running back, Leonard Weaver, and he got hit a helmet right to the knee, and the whole knee buckled back, PCL and all that yes, stuff. Yes, yes. So sometimes you do. You get, like, arterial, like, damage and tearing and, like, cartilage and fractures and a lot of stuff, and the knee just comes out, and it's just, like, pissed off. So it's a lot of management swelling and pain and getting them back so sometimes maybe yeah with a little bit more again traumatic injury there could be more of that type of stuff going on 
that just needs to quiet down first before you get things moving so you don't aggravate it, you know? So a yeah. lot of that might consist of the beginning phases of rehab, you know? Well, I hope this was helpful for the parent to at least, you know, again, we'll, we'll post these, we'll post different clips of this uh, to continue to help answer questions um, for these parents, you know, for, for coaches, for other athletes, for ourselves. I mean, we're, we're kind of learning at the same time. We're not seeing a lot of that. So that would be a, probably a really good question to bring, you know, one of our surgeons on that we're going to bring on in the, in the new year, you know, uh, ask them a question about that. I think we had another question in one of the other episodes that, you know, leads us to other questions that we can start to continue to ask the surgeons. We're going to bring Dr. Trent back on, talk a little bit about BFR. Um, but, you know, this, again, short, sweet, to the point. Let's get that, you know, that information out in, in, in small segments for the parent. So, once yeah. again, appreciate your time and uh, talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, Mike.